Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning. Is anybody else excited to be here today? Yeah, praise the Lord. I was standing out front as people were coming in this morning. I told one couple, I said, just pray that I don't talk too fast because I'm so excited. They go, faster? I was like, it's possible. It can happen. And uh, I wish I could go around and just say hi to each one of you. It is great to be together again. Our drummer was with me in Israel when, when uh, everything shut down from this pandemic back in March. And he said, can you believe it's been since then? And it like, took me a second, Sid, as you said that, to go, that's, that's like seven months ago since we worshiped together in this room. And it is, it is great to be together. And I felt like just as we were singing, uh, the Lord wanted me to tell you all and tell our online uh, congregation audience as well, uh, you're going to be okay. We know the one that, that rules. Yeah, you can give him praise for sure. Uh, we know regardless of what happens in any election or any pandemic or any of those things, we have a sovereign God who rules and reigns and will continue to do so over our lives. And so you're going to be okay. And uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into God's Word this morning. You saw from our video that just played, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you've got a copy of the New Testament, if you can go and turn there. Uh, if you're watching online and maybe you don't have a Bible at your house, if you go to the app store, whatever app store you use, and uh, download the Southbridge app, we've got Bibles in there. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. And I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump into God's Word. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a message to share. This isn't some TED talk or some uh, just self-help or some way we can have a better diet, but that you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit to live in us. I pray your Holy Spirit would move in living rooms, on phones, on laptops, in this room as we gather up and down aisles. The aisles are different than they've ever been in this room, but you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we trust you to work. We trust you to move. We trust you to change lives. Will you do that today? I don't know what you want to do in little kids' lives, maybe over in Bridge Kids. As they're getting started, I pray for every one of those people that volunteered over there today. Will you bless them through those kids? And I pray for those kids that they would hear about your son, Jesus. I pray for the kids that are in this room, God, as we hear their voices and just reminding us your church is not dead, that you've got a plan for the future, and they are part of it. And I pray that you'd move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I think that all of us would agree even if you're watching, you've never thought about Jesus, you're just scrolling through, somebody shared a link, you just came in here today because you're driving by, you're like, they're meeting inside, I want to see what this is all about. Like, whatever reason you're here, I think we all agree that one of the highest values that we have as a culture is authenticity. Like, we all want authentic, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, so much so that we're against anything that seems staged. And so if you're watching a video on YouTube or on Facebook and it feels like it's set up, you just move to the next thing. You'd rather watch some guy walk through his neighborhood, holding his camera, looking up his nostrils, and you feel like it's real, right? Like some of you, I know some of you are super A-type personalities. I've seen your pantries. <laughs> They're all labeled. Everything's organized. The cereal's never stale. It's some plastic things. And, and then you have people over your house, but there's like a pressure now that you can't have everything perfect. So you grab some underwear, throw it in the corner. Some of you have kids, so you don't need any help with that. But it's like, messy hair, don't care. Like, there's something about if everything's perfect, it's not real. And so we want authentic. But even in our society that values authenticity so much, every once in a while what happens is that something that's not genuine creeps in as if it is genuine. I saw one of you uh, who's not here today had posted on your social media a story about a guy in Oklahoma City that robbed a convenience store. Only listen to the story. Like, usually when you rob a convenience store... 
somebody walks in, they put a gun, you know, give me all the tobacco or like give me all the gummy bears, like whatever it is in the convenience store they want. But this person went to like another level. They had gotten a shirt for the convenience store. I don't know if it was Circle K or Shell or what it was, but they had the shirt with the logo on it. And they came in, they convinced the person that was on shift at that point that it was time for her shift to be done and he was going to relieve her. Like, I don't know if she just, she'd never seen this guy before, but he taught, he knew the lingo apparently of convenience store lingo and she left. But here's where the story gets really good. After she left, he started doing her job. He didn't just rob the place. He started cashing people out. He started running. I don't know how he knew how to run the register, but he was running the register, cashing people out. Eventually, when the place all emptied out, he locked the doors, grabbed all the money out of the register, all the lottery tickets, which I thought to myself, you know they know where those come from, right? Like even, the joke would be as if he won. Like he could never turn it in. <laughs> grabbed all the lottery tickets, all the money, all the cigars, and he left. And I thought, that's, that's a pretty funny story. So what did he have to do? He had to, know, he had to have the outward appearance. He had to know all the lingo. But he even did the role. That's funny in a convenience store. You know that's not funny, but it also happens is the church. Because what happens oftentimes in the church is you can learn what church life is like. Did you know it's possible to learn church life and not have eternal life? That, that you can learn all, and every congregation is a little bit different too. Like whatever church you go to, what the dress code is is a little different. And maybe it's, it's cool to wear shorts and flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt. Or maybe you've got to wear a suit. Or maybe there's something in the middle. Or maybe it's just different all the time and you're trying to figure it out all the time. But you learn how to look at church. And there's lingo. Right, brother? Right, sister? You've been washing the blood? What? Like, if you haven't been in church, it's like, that is weird. I am not your brother. Like, this is strange. Nobody's pouring blood on me. But we learn the lingo in church. And it's possible to even do the roles, to go on mission trips, to serve in children's ministry, to lead a small group, even to be an elder in a church, and not have genuine spiritual transformation happening in your life. And so the question I want us to ask ourselves as we open up our passage of Scripture today is this, how do I know if the spiritual transformation I have is real? How do I know if it's not just moral manipulation, right? Because here's something to know. You can change your life without Jesus, People quit smoking, people quit drinking, people lose weight, people do all kinds of things that don't have Jesus. And so why can't you do that? Moral manipulation can happen too, just because you're around a bunch of other people that behave a certain way because they love Jesus, and then you start to change to be around them. That's moral manipulation, behavior modification, but not true spiritual transformation. So how do you know if the spiritual change in your life is authentic? That's the question today. If you've got your Bibles, I mentioned already, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If, you, if you're new to the book of 2 Corinthians, it's incredible because if you like authenticity, this is the most vulnerable book in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul writes. And already, we're just in chapter 3. We've been going through this series. We've talked about some significant topics. We've talked about forgiveness, what forgiveness is, what forgiveness isn't. Uh, we've talked about the significance of suffering. And we're going to talk more about pain and difficulty as we go through this book as Paul talks about his own. We talked about what it is when our character's under fire. We talked about last week, Pastor Dave gave us a great message just about our calling to be the aroma of Christ. Wherever we go, people would sense Jesus. But, but Paul picks it up here. His credentials are being questioned in chapter 3. And look at what he says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some of you do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? It's like a reference, like a resume almost. You yourselves are a letter of recommendation. He's talking to the Corinthians. No, this is 2 Corinthians. He'd already been to Corinth, spent 18 months there, started a church there. Lives have been transformed. And he's saying, you're the letter of recommendation written on our hearts. 
to be known and read by all. And then verse 3. And you show, show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Amen? Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. You might underline that. We'll come back to that. Not of the letter of the law, of the, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What Paul's doing here is he's responding to some people that were attacking his credentials. And so he uses this phrase, letters of recommendation. Letters of recommendation will be written then so that if, if I was new and I was coming into town and I needed a place to stay, you didn't know who I was, they'd say, hey, I know this guy that you know, and he car- that carries weight, and it builds trust. Paul's critics were saying he didn't have letters of recommendation. He looks at the Corinthians and goes, you are letters of recommendation because your life has been changed. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let me read you some verses from 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's where it gets good. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. (laughs) Don't forget, you've been changed. He's saying to the Corinthians, because you've experienced change, I I don't need a letter from some guy from some other town. Your life has been transformed. That's the letter. So how do we know whether that change is authentic? And that's what he gives us in this passage of Scripture, at least three things. There's probably more that you could mine from and dig out of this passage, but I saw three this week when I was studying this passage. And the three things are where, where does genuine spiritual transformation start, how, how does it happen, and what is the end result? And so those of you who like to take notes, that's our outline today. Where, how, and what? Where does it start? And let me tell you where it starts. It starts in the heart. If I were to ask everybody here today, just a, a general question of, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? And most of us would probably think of something pretty quick. Maybe you don't like your ears. You wish they were higher or lower or bigger or smaller. You don't like your height or your hair or your hair color or your eye color or something about your personality. Most of us have something. We look at ourselves more than anybody else looks at us, and we know ourselves probably better than most anyone else knows us. And so there's things you probably don't like about yourself. Can I tell you something? You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God put you together physically exactly the way you are for his exact purpose, and that was perfect for you. Psalm 139, read it. He wove you together in your mother's womb, and he put all the DNA in the exact place, your personality, exactly the way through. All of that stuff is perfect, but you know what? We have a defect. And I bet you the defect that most of us would pick or the thing that we would change is different from what God would change. Because God wouldn't change your hair color. He wouldn't change your eyes. He wouldn't change your ears. He wouldn't change any of that stuff. He put that together exactly the way he wanted to. You're perfect in all those ways. But you have a heart defect. The Bible says you have a heart of stone. Apart from the work of God, your heart is stone. It's deceptive and wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9. Deceitful above all things. We'll even lie to ourselves about our own heart condition. But here's the reality. God's coming after your heart. Did you know we send missionaries all over the world, right? China, we've got missionaries in China, we've got missionaries in Africa. Did you know that God was the first missionary? In the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, and he comes, he says, where are you? He's coming after us. 
And he's still coming after us. He's coming, you know what he's coming after? He's coming after your heart. There's a passage I love in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we'll put it up on the screen. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. I love that the NIV says it. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who, who? whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Bible talks about continually that we seek God with all of our hearts. Psalm 119 and verse 10 says, I seek you with all of my heart so I wouldn't wander from your commandments. We're to seek him. It says, love God with all of your heart. And then out of that flows everything else that happens in your life. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about us loving him with our hearts and where our hearts are at. And he shows a concern for our hearts. The word heart is mentioned about a thousand times in the Bible. It's pretty important. I'm not talking about this organ in your chest. I'm talking about the inner being, the core of who you are. And God's coming after that. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know where your heart's at? Where's your money? Your heart follows your money. Not the other way around. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be, follows it. Money doesn't lie. So if you want to know something about your heart, just think about how you spend your money. But probably the cornerstone passage of Jesus talking about hearts in the New Testament comes when he goes to a group of religious people that go on mission trips, that tithe money, that lead Sunday school classes, that seek converts, that memorize Bible verses. Do you know what he says to them? Your worship is meaningless. All of that stuff doesn't matter. He says in Matthew chapter 15, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. You praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So think about that. Praise me with your lips. And so you preach and you pray and you praise. That's all peas. That worked out great for a pastor. <laughs> but you're singing songs and you're, you're saying, oh, can I do what that says? You're singing and you're saying, and I forgot the other one. But <laughs> anyway, even I forget them. But the, the, the reality is you can do all and say all the right stuff and God look at it and go, who cares? It's empty. Like, how many people in this room, like, I'm not talking about churches around America, churches in Raleigh. Like, how many people in this room today sang the songs that we were singing at the beginning of this service, and God's going, that doesn't mean anything because of where our heart is at. I've been there before. I've been there as your pastor, standing on the front row, singing songs, and my heart wasn't close to Jesus that day. How about you? God's coming after your heart because that's where true spiritual transformation takes place. It starts in the heart. The problem is religion tells us it's the other way around. Some of you grew up in very religious environments, and so there were all the rules, right? Like all the things, if you're a good Christian, you don't do these things, and you almost get the idea that Jesus died to abolish dancing, or like so you'd stop drinking or smoking or to reform the English language, which didn't exist when Jesus was walking the earth, FYI. But you, you started to learn what was more of a behavior modification than it was a heart transformation. And the reality is that real spiritual transformation starts on the inside and then works its way out. It changes our behavior, but it starts in the heart. I remember when we started this church 14 years ago. People come up to me, church was growing fast at the beginning and all that stuff. And it was regularly people were coming to me and going, we've never heard anything like this. And I'm like, we're in the Bible belt. What are you talking about? And I tried to, I was like, we're just preaching the Bible? Like, we're just talking about church? Like, how Acts talks about church? Like, what are we doing that's unique? I don't feel like we have this special idea. And you know what I ended up learning? I ended up learning there were a lot of people that had learned church without falling in love with Jesus. And so the phrase that I've started to use now, and it's kind of over the years evolved into, is that people are over church. I don't think church is bad. I'm a leader in a church. They're over church, under Jesus. It's possible to be in church, not fall in love with Jesus. It's possible to know church life, not have eternal life. 
And so you go back to that analogy of the convenience store guy. He robs, you know, cigars and lottery tickets. You know what we're robbing the church of? Power. You know what you're robbing your own life of? God's plan for you. And Paul's going, that's not true. And you're, in the Corinthians, your lives have been changed. And then he, he talks about hearts. He alludes to it first with just an affectionate term when he says in verse 3 that, that God's written you on our hearts. I don't need letters of recommendation from other people. God's not looking for my resume. Like you, the testimony of changed lives. That's how we know. That's how we know if it's legit. So some of you, by the way, just, like as a, just a, to equip you for the future, this is a transient community. People go to different churches, move, like all that stuff. If you ever go to another church, the first thing you need to look at is not what programs do they have and what's their doctrinal belief. Are lives being changed? Because who cares if they write down all the right doctrine on their website? If nobody's life is being changed, don't go there. And so, so, so he's going to these Corinthians like, your lives are being changed. God's written that on my heart. I'm not trying to build up like some of the Pharisees were doing a spiritual resume. See, God is not like divined, you know, LinkedIn or Indeed.com divinity. You know, it's not... He's not looking for a resume from you. He wants a relationship with you. He's not trying to get, oh, I, I, but I went on this mission trip and I did these things. And there's a verse about that in the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 7. Read it on your own. And Jesus says, one day people are going to stand before me and say, we prophesied in your name. We, can't, we did miracles. God's going, I never knew you. God doesn't want a resume from you. He wants a relationship with you. And so Paul's going, letters of recommendations. Like, it's not wrong to have a resume, but that's not the point. God's written you on our hearts, and what he's doing is he's setting us up for what he's going to say in verse 6. When he talks about that, that we've been made sufficient by God for a new covenant ministry. Verse 6 says, who has made us sufficient to be ministered of a new covenant? Here's what the new covenant is. The old covenant in the Old Testament, think uh, Justin is leading us in worship, was talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments, and, and the Mosaic law was written on stone tablets. So that's what's being alluded to in this passage. That's the old covenant. Old covenant wasn't bad. It pointed us to Christ, but the problem was it was external, and we weren't given the ability to obey it, and you see that because no one obeyed it. 100% accuracy, survey says. Like the people say, I'm going to obey it, and they fail. And they, I'm going to obey it, and they fail, and they forget, and they're like, forget it. We're walking away from you. God punishes them. All right, we'll obey it, and then they fail. That's, the, that's a summary of the whole Old Testament, FYI, and what happens is in about 600 B.C., there's a king who finds the law. People haven't been living by the law. They don't even know the Bible. And they read it, and they're like, we haven't been doing this. And they, 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 the Bible says they repent. It's church language for we were heading in a direction. We turn back to God. We were going away from God. We're going back to God. But then they fail again. <laughs> and Jeremiah chapter 31 says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And with that new covenant comes a new heart. Ezekiel says it like this. He gives a shorter, more succinct version. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a moldable heart, a changed heart, a brand new heart. One book I was reading this week was talking about the first surgeon that ever did a heart transplant. Think about that. Like, Technology is pretty incredible today, but can you imagine the first time they took a heart out of someone's body? Like, that's how you live. They took the heart out of someone's body, put another one in. It was a doctor in South Africa. His name was Dr. Barnard, if you want to look him up. And the story that I read said that one of his patients, not the first one, but one of his patients was another doctor. And they started talking about a heart transplant. And he said impulsively in their conversation, would you like to see your old heart? 
And so after the guy recovered, they met in the basement of this hospital in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, and he went over to a cupboard, Dr. Barner did, and he grabbed a glass jar and he set it in front of this guy, and this guy picked it up. He was the first person to hold his own heart in his hands. And then they had about a 10-minute conversation, just kind of doctor, you know, nerd talk, back of how did the technicians and how did this happen and all that. And then after about 10 minutes, he set the jar back down, he looked at the heart, and he said, so this is the heart that caused me so much trouble. And he turned and he walked out, never to see that again. Follower of Jesus Christ, when God opened your eyes to who Jesus truly is and you asked Jesus to be your Savior, not only did you receive the Holy Spirit, God, to live within you, but God gave you a new heart, a heart that's now moldable and empowered to obey. It doesn't mean everything goes perfectly because we still have the flesh and there's a battle that takes place. And we love stories of, I was blind and now I see. This happened, this, and there's a dramatic transformation, and sometimes that happens. But this passage of Scripture later tells us how most of our transformation is from one degree to the next. It's more like a sundial than it is a stopwatch. A little bit more like Jesus today than before, and how does that happen? Well, it starts in the heart. Here's how it happens. It happens by beholding the glory of God. That's what Paul tells us next in our passage. How does this transformation take place? By beholding God's glory. Look what he says next here in verse 7. It says, Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory, see it's not bad, that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he's contrasting here. Notice he doesn't call the, the old law, the old covenant, he doesn't call it bad. It was glorious. It just wasn't, it's not as glorious as the new covenant. So some Bible commentators, the analogy they use is the moon. If all you knew was the light of the moon, that would be your source of light. But when the sun comes out and it's 400,000 times brighter, it's now outshining the moon. You're not thinking about the moon anymore. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's going, the new covenant is so glorious, it outshines the old covenant. And look at what he says. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness most far exceeded in glory. Verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has now come to have no glory at all because of the glory that it surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. This is, this is what it is. This is the new covenant. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That's one of the characteristics. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's another characteristic. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, Bible scholars universally agree, and that's something. <laughs> they universally agree that this passage we just read is a commentary on what Justin, our worship leader, was referring to earlier in our worship time, Exodus chapter 32 through 34. And if you didn't hear that or you're not familiar with that passage of Scripture, what happens in Exodus chapter 32 is that God's led people out of bondage. They've been in bondage for 400 years. He leads them out. And then the guy that was his mouthpiece, Moses, goes away for a little bit over a month. And they don't like how God's behaving. And so they go to Aaron. Aaron's his brother. And they say, Aaron, will you make us other gods? And Aaron's like, yeah, I'll make you other gods. Bring me your gold rings. Bring me all your gold. And I'll 
He fashions with his own hands a golden calf. Moses comes down from the mountain with God, sees what's happened, says to Aaron, what's going on here? That's my paraphrase. Aaron says, like, the Bible is funny. Do you know why it's funny? Because it tells real life, and real life is funny. Aaron said, I put in the gold, and out came this calf. He made it with his own hands. Like, have you ever caught your kids doing something you know they're lying to you? Like, you know, you're sitting down in your living room, and water starts dripping from the light. You're like, oh, something's going on up there. And you go upstairs, one of your kids is on the toilet, standing on it with a plunger. There's golf balls. (laughs) What's going on? I don't know. I think you're lying. Like Moses, I'm surprised he didn't smack Aaron and say, do I have stupid written on my head? (laughs) That's not what happened. Do you know what the people said about that golden calf? This is the God that led us out of Egypt. It didn't exist five minutes ago. You've been out of Egypt for over a month. Like that didn't even make sense. And then Moses is ticked, throws the stone tablets down. They break. He's angry. But that, and here's the part we usually skip in Sunday school. That had nothing on God's wrath against these people. God was so angry, he was going to wipe out the entire nation. And many people do die if you read the passage. But Moses intercedes for the sake of your glory, God. Don't do it. And then God says, all right, you can go to the promised land. I'm not going with you. These stiff-necked people, I'll destroy them. Because he knows it's going to keep happening. This is how it is. And Moses says, no, we don't want to go unless you go with us. God's gracious. He said, I'll go. And then Moses, talk about boldness. And this passage says that we should be more bold. Moses says, show me your glory. Now think about that for a second. Who do we have here? If you know the Bible, Moses has seen God's glory unlike any human who's walked the earth. A burning bush starts talking to this guy. And the bush says, take off your sandals. Like this is holy ground. This isn't just some weird thing that's happening. You're, You're seeing a glimpse of God's glory in this moment, Moses And not only that, but he's the guy that stands before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and sees multiple miracle, miracle after miracle after miracle. after He's seeing God's glory again and again. He Just stand there and be still, Moses, and God leads him through the Red Sea. Sees his glory, sees his glory, sees his glory, sees his glory. And then he gets an opportunity to ask for something. (laughs) Do you have anything on your bucket list? Like an ocean you want to see or a mountain or some experience you want to have? Moses goes, show me your glory. Hmm, wow. And then Moses gets a glimpse, just a glimpse. See God's face, he'll die. He'll be annihilated because he's sinful and God's holy. But he gets a glimpse of his backside. And he gets these commandments and he comes down and his face, he doesn't even realize his face is shining. But then he has to cover it. You know why he covers, he veils his face in that passage? It's not an argument about mask or no mask, FYI. I can't use it. Don't create a meme. Moses was for mask. And you're like, but Paul was no mask. No, that's not the deal. Okay. You know how he veils himself? And some of you going to make that meme. I already know. It's probably on my inbox, right? Like, it's going to. He covers his face for their sake. It's mercy. They can't handle the glory of God. So he veils his face. So in the Old Testament, there's one guy who gets to behold the glory of God. And I don't know if you have a written copy of the Bible or not, or an app, but if you do, would you take it out right now? Would you go to verse 18? I've got to show you, there's a phrase. You've got to see the words. The words of God are inspired by God, so the words matter. And here's what it says in verse 18. And we all, that's key. That's key. 
And I know we've had people joining online. I've got some friends from Michigan that have been watching online and don't usually attend our church. And some people in Maryland have been watching pretty regularly online. And so our online audience, I want to tell you what this means in Greek. All y'all. Okay? Now, North Carolina friends, they know what I'm talking about. This means all, y- all y'all who know Jesus Christ as Savior. Look at what it says next. We all, all y'all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, this is how transformation takes place, are being transformed. Why I thought I needed a class. I needed this specific program. I need to memorize these verses. I need this formula. I need this, the secret too, the five keys. No, the Bible tells us. Do you want to know how to be transformed? Behold the glory of God. We all have the ability to do that as new covenant believers in Jesus Christ Unveiled faces, our heart, the eyes of our hearts have been opened. Here's the problem, and the verses, the passage already talked about this. We read it. Not everybody sees the same thing when they look at Jesus. Why is that? Well, go back up a couple of verses, verses 14 through 16. It talks about Jews in the synagogue hearing the scriptures read all the time. The Old Testament and the Old Covenant points to Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. Look at what he says. Verse 14, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. It's when you place your faith in Jesus. The only way you'll ever place your faith in Jesus is when God opens your eyes to who He is. Even your story of placing your faith in Jesus is for God's glory, because He did a work, or you'd have never seen it. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You ever seen two people see the same thing? They don't see the same thing? I have one daughter. She's far more sophisticated than I am. She likes art. And I asked her the other day, she was looking at some abstract art. I was like, what do you see? Because to me, I remember when you were five, and that's what that looks like to me. Like just blobs of colors on the picture here. I see this and these, I'm talking about emotions. I was like, ah, I don't see that. And some of you, do you remember those pictures? They were popular like 10, 20 years ago where they were geometric shapes, but if you stared at them long enough, something came out of the picture. I could never see that. Some of you are like seeing, there's a mountain, there's a dolphin. I'm like, just a bunch of triangles. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. When you read the Bible, it's crazy. Jesus comes on the scene, and there's a guy named John the Baptist who says, behold, look. That just means look. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then you read a couple chapters later, and there's these religious leaders that everybody wants to be like. We make them the bad guys, like the, the low-key music plays whenever the villains are here, whenever we watch a movie of the Bible, like these guys. But everybody admired these guys. And you know what they said? It's by Satan he cast out Satan. He casts out a demon, and they call him the devil. It doesn't get much different than that. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Satan. But they're looking at the same guy. How does that happen? right here. Hardened minds, hardened hearts, and that's all of us until God gives us a new heart. We had a heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, and he opens our eyes, and now we can see Jesus. The problem is, even within the church, in America what's happened is that when I say Jesus and you say Jesus, we may mean very different things. And you just start looking at your social media. We got patriotic Jesus. He's like Uncle Sam dressed up with a thorn, you know, crown. You, I'm calling you to follow me. And he's got the stripes, the flag on, and got social justice Jesus that's out there. We've got moral Jesus, example Jesus. I, you know, I met with a pastor one time in this community who was mad at some of the things I was preaching, like that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And you know what they told me? They said, you have too high of a view of Jesus. And I thought, boom, this is awesome. I love getting cut down by this person. <laughs> this pastor 
that graduated from a seminary in this community said Jesus didn't really die on the cross historically. That was a divine example of what love looks like. That's, that's not just people in church. That's a pastor. Now, it's not, if anybody told me they were going to go to that church, I'd say, no, there's good churches. Don't go to that one. Paul and Baptist, by the way. And so, I can say Jesus. Somebody else can say Jesus. We don't mean the same thing. Here's the problem. We've remade Jesus. You hear people talk about ever, my, my Jesus would never, my Jesus would be, my Jesus. Do you know where that happened at? Exodus 32. We've got a golden calf Jesus in America. We've made him in our own image. See, God created us in his image in Genesis. We've been returning the favor ever since. We keep recreating him, and the Jesus most people create looks a lot like them. So if the Jesus you're following affirms everything you already believe, you're probably not following this Jesus. And so if you want to know what Jesus is like, let me tell you what needs to happen too. This is how you behold the glory of God. It's actually really simple. Read the Bible. He's right here, unadulterated. Ask, your, ask the Lord as you're coming to the Bible, take away my preconceived ideas, all this, and show me Jesus. I trusted Jesus as my Savior when I was 18 years old. I'm going to turn 44 on Monday. So I've been walking with Jesus for a little while now. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Happy birthday. Paul says in here, I, pre- I don't preach myself. I wasn't, that wasn't the point, but here's the... I, you know what I'm doing in my own Bible reading right now? Like not to prepare a sermon for you or whatever, just me and Jesus and we're spending time together. Is I'm just reading the Gospels and going, God, will, will you show me stuff about Jesus that I don't know? Now listen, I've taken class. I've learned the Bible in Greek and in Hebrew, and I've preached hundreds of messages, and I've studied the Bible, and I know some of you have been to Bible study fellowship forever, and you've led mission trips and taught and done all this stuff. Do you know that he keeps showing me new stuff about Jesus? I have a list here, and we're running out of time, but man, I can talk about Jesus for a long time. These are just some of the names of Jesus in the Bible. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only begotten Son, the great I am, before all things, creator of all things, upholder of all things. There's a lot he has to do with all things because he holds it all together. The beginning and the ending, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the eternal life, the Word, the Word of life, the Word made flesh, the image of God, the brightness of his glory, a man of sorrows, the Savior of the world, the anointed, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain, the bridegroom. We are his bride, the church. As we minister to the body of Christ, we minister to Jesus himself, the man of sorrows, the savior of the world, the anointed, the true vine, the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, the rock of ages. He's called my rock, my redeemer, the chief cornerstone, the resurrection and the life, the head over all things, the one who just in this passage we read gives us boldness and freedom and a new heart the Lord of the living and the dead, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of peace, the Lord of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. I saw that there was a book that John Piper wrote this week, and many of you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you know that Jesus died to forgive you of your sins to absorb the wrath of God, but you know he has a book that the title of the book is called 50 Reasons Jesus Died. Do you know there's more than 50, more than 50 reasons? I would challenge you, you want to praise Jesus this week? Just, you can download his book for free online. Just read the table of contents. The titles of the chapters will overwhelm your heart with the glory of Jesus. And you know what this passage says? As we behold Jesus, we become more like Jesus. There's one guy who wrote a book, and the whole thesis of the book is this. His name's Greg Beale. The thesis of his book is simply this, that what we behold, we become more like either 
for restoration or ruin. And I would challenge you that when we're worshiping a Jesus we've created, it's for our own ruin because one day we're going to stand before him and go, I never knew you. You may have followed someone named Jesus, but it wasn't me. But when we look at the Jesus of the Scriptures, he makes us more like him, and that's the result, the last point. What is the end result? The end result is we become like Jesus. What does it say? I'll just read you verse 18 again. In verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's the reality. What Jesus is making us like, and that's what Christians are supposed to be. Do you know when Christian was first used in the Bible? It's in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, in Antioch. And the reason why the people are called Christians is because they're like Christ. And we've redefined Christian to mean a lot of things in this culture. But what it's supposed to mean is that when people look at us, they see Jesus. Like the disciples in Acts chapter 4, not Peter, not Paul, but Peter and John. And they're preaching, they're before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of that day. And they're saying, don't preach Jesus anymore. And they say, these guys are unlearned. Like, they don't know all the languages. They haven't done all this stuff. They don't have degrees in this. But you know what we see in them? They've been with Jesus. And so as we wrap up, I just ask you this question. Follower of Jesus. People look at your life and go, that person's been with Jesus. Because you behold his glory, you become more like him. And that's the evidence of spiritual transformation, that you see Jesus. A little bit more today than yesterday. Not, not that you're perfect. No one here is perfect. But you're a little bit more like Jesus as a result of coming into this room, watching online than you were before this started. That means you encountered Jesus. And that's the goal, so that we'd be transformed. But you've got to take that first step. Some people haven't placed their faith in Jesus yet. And you know the way that you do that? It's by acknowledging your sin and your need for a Savior. And you don't get to make up who your Savior is because there's only one that will get you to heaven. There are maybe seven billion different Jesuses in this world. But there's only one that left heaven and came to earth for you. There's only one that died on a cross for you. There's only one that calls you and demands everything from your life from you. There's only one that can really save you. And it's the Jesus of the Bible. And if you don't know him, you can trust him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we come before you, and I ask you if there's anybody in this room today who needs to trust your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior that you would overwhelm their hearts with the weight of sin, that they would know that they can't deal with it, they need to turn to you, and that you would save them, and you would lift that burden and overwhelm them with the weight of your glory. God, put your, put your glory in this room in such a way that it attracts people, that it draws people. I pray for the people that are watching online, God, that you would work in their hearts. You know, and, and, and we have a plan for the service, but the plan was not this, and so I know we're planning to do announcements next, but I, I just want to ask that the worship team would come back up, Nikki. Justin, if you guys would just come back up, that song that we were singing before the, the sermon was so perfect for what we're talking about. Just show us your glory, Lord. And I want to ask that we, we would sing that song as we end this service. And then we'll do some announcements and things like that. But I want this to be the, our prayer as a church this week. In your own time with Jesus, in your own time in your small group, that you would begin to just say, God, will you reveal your glory to me? Will you show me yourself? Because the only way we're going to become more like Jesus, genuinely, like I can stand up here and be like, everybody in our church needs to go tell somebody about Jesus today, and everybody in our church needs to read their Bible, everybody stop swearing, like, and we can conform all those things. But the way we're really going to become like Jesus is to start beholding who Jesus is. And he starts transforming us from the inside out in our hearts. And Father, will you do that in the life of believers today? Will you help us to see your son Jesus accurately, to see our own hearts accurately? If they're far from you, will you draw us to you today? 
If they're with you, will you continue to fan that flame? Will you reveal to us through our, through our money, through our time, through the, where our thoughts go? All of us struggle with sin, whether it's pride or lust or greed or dishonesty. Like, there's all kinds of sins that, that we struggle with. Father, we want you. Strengthen and grow the desire we have for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.